Well, folks, we made it to December of 2020, and this year's been crazy. You should treat yourself this holiday season with a prime rib. And not just any prime rib. You need a United Harvest Wagyu Angus Cross prime rib for you and your family to chow down on, throw it in the smoker for hours. Hours, literally. Please do this. Send us some photos. I would love to see it. Enjoy it with your family because you you need it, okay? This year sucked, guys. Come on. Go to unitedharvest.com. Check out the specials that they are having on their prime rib and any other meat that they have in stock. It's incredible meat. Trust me. I've tried it. Unitedharvest.com. Type in the promo code FRIENDS15. For 15% off your first order, unitedharvest.com. I don't even know how to remotely start a podcast. I don't know how to start a conversation. Start a podcast. If I could be any celebrity, I'd be Will Winner. Please, for the love of God, if you're listening to this and you still tuck your jeans and your boots, reach down, pull those bad boys out, all right? We're done with that. We're done with that. I am 97 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. Next! I should have brought my recorder. I could have played Hot Cross Buns. Is that that illegal? (laughs) When our two moms listen to this podcast, they're going to be like... Our two moms. They're going to be super proud of us. Welcome (laughs) to the Keeper Pin. We're back, hookers. You can't get away. What am I trying to say? You can't get rid of us. There we go. I, got, I know. I was a little worried there for for okay. you for a second. Uh, yeah, I think I just forgot the whole English language there. Is that yeah English? Anyway, yeah, you- I wasn't sure where you were going there, but irregardless, we have another guest this week, and we are so excited to have her with us. I am most excited about the fact that she has a new last name that I can pronounce. Otherwise, there would be yes. two. Otherwise, there would be two <laughs> of us that were stumbling over our words, even though her old name is flashing up on my screen right now, and I don't want to read it. Okay, we have <laughs> Mari Morris with us tonight. And we've had the pleasure of knowing one another throughout, um, you know, the course of the past couple of years. And it's been amazing just to watch her path as she, you know, navigates through life. So we're going to go ahead and start out by having her tell a little bit about herself and her career now. And then we'll kind of go from there. Thanks, Maddie and Jenna. First off, want to make sure you guys have the right person. I mean, you've had Kirby on here, who I've been watching on national TV all week and is a Western fashion icon. You've had the OGs, Kelly and Jessica from Heritage Style. You've had the Secretary of Agriculture of Oklahoma, just a class act in Blaine Arthur. Melissa Gandhi, no intro needed. And a freaking lawyer and BA judge, Jara. So just wanted to make sure you had the right person with a very humble and meek feed saleswoman here. Are you sure? This is it. You, you are, you're part of the lineup. Don't, don't downplay yourself. We're your- yeah, <laughs> this is it. And also if anyone has anything to do with social media, you had to see Mari's wedding photos. I was drooling. <laughs> Everyone was drooling. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's her. Thanks girl. Thanks. Um, thanks for the intro. So yeah, my name is Mari Morris. I, long story short, live in Montana currently on my husband's family ranch. He would be 
fourth generation on here and we raise uh, Maine cattle with some Angus base in there, a few semis, um, some keys and random stuff, mostly Maine cattle. Um, we cover a lot of different aspects within the industry. We ship off commercial steers that had to feed lots and backgrounds. Um, we raise seed stock. We do a lot of replacement heifers and sell a lot of bulls. And then we raise show cattle as well, selling show steers and, and show heifers. So it's a full-time job in itself. It's just my husband and his dad that work here on the ranch. And I love to help out when I can. And my mother-in-law, she's, she's a hand, that's for sure. So that's kind of where I'm at now, but I also have the role of a show right specialist for show right show feeds. And my role with them is kind of ever changing. I do a lot of like customer support, working with the end user directly, as well as dealers and distribution. And then I also have quite a few responsibilities on the marketing side too. So I do, I manage all of our show right social media. I do a lot of our graphics and yeah, I guess any sort of um, social media marketing, website stuff I help out with too. Um, but originally I am from Bend, Oregon, which when I was growing up was a decent sized town, pretty deeply rooted in agriculture. So it was fun to be a part of. And now it's this very trendy, hipster, massive town growing with um, just population grows every year and it's very touristy. So it's changed a ton since we lived there. Um, but I still call it home. My family's still back there. And I grew up uh, showing hogs and horses, but my parents are both in the medical field. So for us, it was very um, kind of hobby. We just had like 20 acres and a few animals here and there and got interested in agriculture through the FFA program. Actually, my two older siblings um, were both very active in the FFA and started with like the public speaking and leadership aspect. But then that kind of evolved into showing livestock as well. And that's where I jumped into that. So that's kind of where I started. And then I got involved in livestock judging. Um, my coach, Justin Hole, he really pushed me. He's like, Mari, you're not going to be able to show your pig this year in the FFA unless you judge livestock for me. And I didn't want to do it. Maddie, I was like you. The first time I gave a set of reasons, I cried. And I think I threw my judging book at him and <laughs> hated it. But he pushed me, thank goodness, because ended up I was pretty decent at that. Um, that was the summer going into my junior year of high school. And then by the summer coming out of my junior year, going into my senior year of high school, I had set records at our state contest for reasons and placings and stuff. So yeah, it ended up being decent and I fell in love with it. Once I got better at it and good at it, I really did enjoy that. Um, and so I ran for a state office my senior year of high school because my brother and sister both served as the FFA state presidents for Oregon FFA. And so no pressure, but I just felt like that was my next move as well. Um, and that didn't work out. God always has a funny way of unveiling his plan and his route for you. I got cut like the second round for state officer tryouts through that process. And I can just remember that was really like my first heartbreak, my first um, just time in my life where I felt completely lost and shattered um, and uh, needed a direction change. And that's really where livestock judging came in and saved me again. But that wasn't really 
a fault of my own. Um, I was really lucky and had a lot of advocates for me when I was in high school and um, a family friend, Jake Warnchez, was one of those. He had gone to Redlands Community College for livestock judging um, out of Oregon. He also grew up in Oregon and he kind of put um, my name and, and his coach Clay Elliott's ma- uh, mind, I guess. And um, Clay Elliott reached out and went on a recruiting visit, um, fell in love with Oklahoma. Just, I loved how agriculture was so prevalent. You drive down the road and there's just all these outfits and operations. And I just knew that was something I wanted to be a part of. Um, so fell in love with Redlands, fell in love with Clay Elliott as a coach and um, knew that's where I was meant to go and meant to be. So in a matter of four months, my whole kind of direction changed from state office. That was really the only thing that I had on my mind and the only plan that I had. I didn't have a backup. That changed in a matter of four months. And four months later, I had my little Subaru car loaded down with all my stuff and I was Oklahoma bound. Um so judged at Redlands for a couple of years and then continued that judging career into Oklahoma State and was part of a really, really, two really, really successful teams, both at Redlands and Oklahoma State. Um, the, at Oklahoma State, I was a member of the 2014 Reserve National Champion team and just had a team full of talent and capable young individuals. So I was really blessed to just even be surrounded by them and learn from them. Um And then I took a job fresh out of college for a chemical company because the job I wanted with Showrite wasn't available at the time. I guess I should back up. I did a few internships. I interned with like Encore Marketing back back then. I interned with um, Showrite and was hoping that would land me my dream job upon graduation. Um, Interned with a chemical company called Dow Agrosciences at the time. They've since changed their name. Um, but that internship at the end of that internship in this summer, it was pretty cool. I spent a summer in Minnesota with corn and bean farmers, which for you two girls is just totally normal. That's what you know and and how you've grown up. But for me, that was such foreign territory. Um, but I really learned a ton and got to diversify myself into the farming side of things. So that was really neat. But at the end of that, um, they did offer me a job going into my senior year, uh, no contract or anything. So I could still back out of it. And so I, I of course, just took that to be safe. It's, a, it's an incredible company. They really do a good job of taking care of their employees and attracting good talent. Um, so I took that. Um, the job with Showrite, unfortunately, didn't work out. Um, they were purchased in 2015, right as I was coming out of college and so Todd Kennedy, the national show right manager, um, he had reached out and was like, hey, that job we talked about, it's not going to be available. I'm, I'm really sorry. And so, again, it kind of felt crushed. And another time in my life where I felt like kind of which direction do I go? Not, didn't really have a backup plan. And a lot of that was due to judging, too. Like when judging ends, and Jenna, you'll experience this at some point, but it kind of feels like a it's a major chapter that ends for you. And I always remember like through leadership programs at Oklahoma state, introducing myself as hi, I'm Mari Palacio and I'm a member of the livestock judging team at Oklahoma state. And that was like a part of my identity and who I was and what I did. And then that just ends. Like you can't say that anymore. So then it's just, I'm Mari Palacio and what else is there to me? I I really wasn't sure. Um, but when that show right job, dissolved. Um, I luckily had that backup with Dow Agrosciences and 
uh, that was a fantastic job coming straight out of college. And I was lucky to just even have an option because I know how hard like kids coming out of school right now are are trying to find positions and stuff. And it's really difficult. Um, but Dow moved me to Kansas City and right out of college um, and then began my my kind of journey moving around. I was moving like every nine months. It was kind of insane, but it worked out. So I lived in Kansas City for the longest period, but I had just moved apartments like a year into my job and I got a call and they were like, a territory opened up down in East Texas. And that's where I had always talked about wanting to go is East Texas and Louisiana, Oklahoma, like staying in the kind of South Midwest. Um, but I jumped on that. They were like, here's the catch. We need you down there in 10 days. So I had 10 days to pack up my stuff head down to Texas and enter a new world. And that was still really fun though. Um, I was at the age and time in my life where I had nothing tying me down. I was up for the adventure and the change. So I welcomed that. Um, and luckily I had ran into Ryan Rash at the Illinois State Fair that summer, right when I got this call. And I was like, Ryan, I'm moving to your, your area. I need a place to live. Do you have any recommendations? And you guys know Ryan, he's just the best. And he goes, Oh girl, just come join me at gay Hill. No issues. We'll share the house. Like he was so funny. Um, so I ended up moving in with Ryan rash, um, going down to Texas and lived with him for, I think probably a good six months. And then I got my own place. Um, but then not long after that call from Todd Kennedy back at show, right came back. Um, and he said, Hey, remember that job we talked about I was like, yep, of course, I haven't forgot about it. And he's like, well, neither have we. And we're finally ready. And the position is yours if you want it. So here we are, is just getting my feet like grounded in Texas and getting comfortable and building relationships with my customers, loving my job. Literally nothing was wrong, but I knew that Showrite was my dream job, my dream company and what I wanted to do. I really missed, I enjoyed my job with Dow, but I really missed a, kind of the show world, the livestock aspect of things. Um, so I, yeah, I jumped on that opportunity and Showrite wanted to move me to Illinois to help, um, build and manage the kind of Eastern business unit. So here we are again, like nine, 10 months later, and I'm jumping into another U-Haul and driving my butt back North, um, moving to Illinois and then get settled in my job and another nine months go by and I moved West to help support our Western business unit for show, right? lived in Idaho. And then that's kind of when my handsome cowboy husband swooped in and um, we started seeing each other. And then I moved up to Montana a few, I guess a year later, and I will be here for the rest of my life living on this ranch. So there is a very, very long story of where, where I'm from. <laughs> I love it because I was just like following you around and I was like, okay, yeah, we're going here. We're going this when you were, about <laughs> it, it was great. Okay. So I want to, um, something that I think is really, really relevant because I know that I, um, felt it as a kid, my mom, my grandma, um, gave anesthesia. My mom gives anesthesia that pressure of people yeah. in your family who have done things and I'm sure as soon as I popped out, they were like, Jenna's going to give anesthesia and she's going to be the third generation. So your parents were in the medical field. Your siblings were both state officers. Like, how did you have to be like, this is my thing and I need to do it for me and not feel like that? You know, I don't think that happened for me until 
I moved out to Oklahoma, like until I removed myself from that environment, because I did feel that pressure all through high school. Um, everyone knew me as Kara or Sam's little sister. Um, those are my older siblings and they were so freaking successful. They're amazing human beings. And so I did feel that pressure. Um, and I think that state officer falling through was the biggest blessing in disguise. I, I cannot imagine what my life would look like if I had gotten what I think I wanted, what I thought I wanted at the time, which was that role. I cannot imagine how different my life would be. I probably never would have pursued livestock judging because I would have had a year off and I would have lost everything I knew. Um, I don't think I would have gone back to it. I probably would have continued at Oregon State and and who knows where I would have gone from there. But that's just not, you can't play that game. You can't think about the what ifs. And I don't want to, like, I am, I am so happy with how things turned out. Um, so I think once I moved out to Oklahoma, I had so much independence and I, I didn't have, it was a fresh start. I didn't have people asking me if I was Cara and Sam's little sister. I didn't have people making jokes or comments that I was going to be the third Palacio state president and things like that. I really could make my reputation whoever I wanted to be. And so it was really a fresh start, a new start. And I just kind of put my, I had my goals set. This livestock judging thing had really lit a, lit a fire under my ass. And I knew I wanted to be successful at that. And I didn't know like career-wise what I, where I wanted to go yet, but I did know that agriculture was something that I found a passion for and I wanted to be involved with every day for the rest of my life. And that was enough for me. Like that's kind of all I needed to know at that point. And I was headed in that direction. So I set myself up, I, I set those goals and then I set myself up to be able to achieve those. And I think that removing myself from Oregon, from that kind of circle was the best thing I could have ever done for myself. And, and I just got out of my own head and yeah, kind of, like I said, put my nose down to the grindstone and kept my goals in perspective and headed that direction. That is so awesome. And I guess uh, while you were telling that story, I, I guess I didn't know a lot of that. I mean, I did know that you lived in Illinois because, um, a little fun fact, I'm pretty sure, and correct me if I'm wrong, you lived like 30 minutes from my hometown. Really? Uh, so I was living in Champaign. And I thought you lived in Pekin. No. Okay. I had a friend in Pekin and she used to watch my dog a lot for me. <laughs> okay. Never... So I did spend a lot of time there. Okay. Never mind. So <laughs> Pekin is like 30 minutes from my house. Gotcha. So okay. I, I felt like I just remembered that. But anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess. I, this is kind of a weird question, but like, as you moved around, what were some of the struggles that you had just getting, um, you know, acquainted with the new area? I know that, um, maybe the situation that you were in won't be completely applicable, but I know we have a lot of people that are moving to college or places like that. And just some words of wisdom or advice that you have for people that are moving, um, to that next stage of their life and possibly to that new location. Absolutely. That can be really tough. And I'm kind of lucky in the sense. So before we settled in Bend, Oregon, my dad um, was in the army and we moved around quite a bit move, uh, when I was young. Uh, so for me, I was from the ages of like when I was born up until 10 years old, my dad was in the army and we were moving every three to five years. We moved, 
I think three times since I, when I was born. Um, so for me, that was, that meant like a new adventure. It was fun. I, I actually really enjoy change. I welcome change because I think that was part of my childhood and I just learned to adapt. But like for my older siblings, they were the ones who were in school trying to develop friendships and routines. And then they were pulled out of it within a couple of years and had to start over at a new place. So like I see in my siblings that they're probably a little bit more hesitant to change. And um, it was just a different experience for me since I was so young and not in school quite yet and all that. So it's just my personality, I guess, is what I'm getting at is that I I'm up for the adventure, like sign me up. I am very spontaneous. I fly by the seat of my pants and that's just kind of who I am. So I really welcomed these moves and these new locations and these new roles. Uh, but it that doesn't mean that it wasn't hard and it wasn't difficult. Even moving to my new hometown, Augusta, Montana here, this is a cowboy town and it is 300 people and pe the population is 300 people. And those that live here have either lived here forever or have family who have lived here forever. So coming in as the outsider, I did feel a lot of just uh, hardship with that. Um, that was hard to adjust. I felt like I didn't fit in. I felt like I didn't really belong. It was just so different. But the people here are so sweet and so welcoming. It's not because of them. It's just because I see what's around me. And I, I didn't quite fit that mold of what's typical around here. But you learn to stand out and to own that and uh, just to rock it. But I think as I moved from place to place and from role to role, I kind of, um, I, I was okay. I guess I'll use the example of both my internship in Minnesota for the summer and moving down to Texas as an example. In both of those situations, I was going in where I didn't know anything about the role I was going into. So in Minnesota, my role was seed sales and that was uh, for corn and beans. And again, I don't have a production agriculture background, never been around farming. I had never even seen a combine. Uh, that was like one of my first days of work was a sales rep just took me around to like a John Deere dealership and showed me what all the equipment looked like. So I wouldn't sound like an idiot when I was talking to these customers about um, planting and harvesting and things like that. Um, but I, I went in very, I always go in very humble. I always go in fully knowing like where I stand, which is at the bottom of the totem pole. And I'm okay with asking for help, asking those questions to continue to climb that totem pole and get me where I need to be. And that's something I think people can, it can be scary for people. You don't want to be the dumb one. You don't want to look stupid or ask dumb questions, but how the heck else are you going to figure it out? So I kind of went in and asked people to help me, asked people to teach me. And for me, that has always really helped build relationships too. You, you, by doing that, you make people feel good. You make them feel valued, um, by asking them to share their expertise with you. So then like when I went down to Texas, my role there was a range and pasture chemical specialist. So I was helping cattle ranchers, um, with soil health, grass growth, and getting weeds out of their pastures. So again, that's, I was familiar with cattle, is familiar with cattle production, but what I wasn't familiar with was their system of what, what ranching and cattle raising looks like down there. It is very different from what I had known. So again, I kind of went in as and tried to play like the not dumb, but just 
the new girl. Uh, it's also a big deal to live in Texas and not be from Texas, right, Jenna? <laughs> oh yeah. So it is. it's um, I love it down here, but my goodness, it is there. <laughs> Yeah, they have a, a funny way of making you feel like an outsider real quick just by asking one question of, of where you're from. And then from there, it goes downhill. So Jenna, I had what, what did they keep calling us when we went to visit? Yankees. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> Not to bash absolutely. Because they're they're great. Um, And I've got a lot of friends on my judging team that are, you know, residents, lifetime residents of Texas. But man, it takes some adjustion to them for them to like mm-hmm. the upstate kids. No doubt. I always said, this is funny when I was in Texas, I always, they would say, where are you from? And I would say, I'm from Oklahoma just because I just spent my four years in Oklahoma and it sounded a hell of a lot better than saying Oregon (laughs) to those cattle ranchers. So I used to say I was from Oklahoma, but, um, anyways, I'd go into these ranchers and I I would just ask all these questions and, uh, you know, tell me why you guys do that. Um, I don't, I don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I just kind of played dumb again and let them, we'd ride around in trucks, go look at their pastures, go look at their cattle. I'd ask them why they're using the breeds that they are, why they're a good fit for that geographic location. And like, I've, I really had a lot of success by just asking questions and building the relationships that way, because again, they feel um, like I've kind of put them on a pedestal. I've, I'm asking them to help teach me um, it makes people feel good. And so I had a lot of success with that. I, I developed awesome relationships with my customers so good that I even keep in touch with quite a few of them now. Um, even though I wasn't there long, but that has done a lot of good for me is just going into it very humble, know where you stand, which like I said, in those types of situations is normally at the bottom of the totem pole accept that, be okay with it, but know you're not going to stay there forever and work your way up and don't be afraid to ask questions. I think that that is brilliant life advice because it (laughs) takes, but it takes a while for you to get there. Um, Oh yeah. Because one thing that, you know, and I'm Maddie and I are very transparent, like um, we, you know, both struggle with a lot of anxiety. So I want to talk like advice, judging contests, just life in general, like Mm-hmm. You're like getting out of your head, like stop, you know, going for things out, stop out, talk, or, you know, talking yourself out of things, stuff like that. Um, you know, I know that that's a very, everyone struggles with it. So maybe your advice or, or what you did. Oofta, that's a loaded question. And I really think that it came with time. I struggled probably as much as anyone Jenna and Maddie in livestock judging when it came to being in my own head. That was my biggest flaw. I think any of my coaches would tell you that. I second guessed myself too much because I was worried about being right all the time. I just wanted to be right. And at the same time, since I didn't come from like a livestock background, a major livestock background where I was seeing species all day, every day, I had, you know, like three hog, three to five hogs that I show in the barn that I showed six months out of the year. Like that's not the same situation. So I just didn't have the lives, the natural livestock understanding that a lot of kids did. And that was a big disadvantage for me. So because of that, I put so much pressure on myself to learn livestock judging logic and how to place them. And and I just put so much pressure on myself to just be right instead of using good livestock. And instead of using 
the ones that I liked, the kinds that I liked. But I will tell you now, I, I've been out of judging for what, six years now. And I have never been more confident in my evaluation skills. And a lot of that has come from my real life experience from riding around with those ranchers down in Texas, all across the country, and especially being here on the ranch with my husband and his family. One of my most proud moments in livestock evaluation did not even happen in the show ring, judging a show or as a livestock judging contestant. It happened out here two summers ago. We were sorting like the show cattle that we wanted to bring back to the barn. Um, And it was all heifers. And Tucker and I have this big group of probably 150, 200 head of heifers on the fence line. And we're on four wheelers and we're just sorting one by one. Um, Are we bringing them to the barn? Are we keeping them out here in the pasture? And so he's doing it. I'm just kind of keeping the herd together on the fence line. And Tucker then comes back to me and he's like, he was about done. And then he goes, why don't you go look through them and see if I missed anything? And that was just my proudest moment because it meant that he respected my opinion and he valued my opinion. And that was just the coolest moment. And ever since, like ever since I've been out of livestock judging, I have been able to develop my own opinions on livestock and quit worrying about getting it right and just figuring out what I like. And that has been really fun. I wish I would have developed that sooner, but for me in my personal journey, I don't think I could have. I think it had to take me getting out of that dynamic and just getting into a pasture with a rancher or a producer and talking stock. So I guess for you livestock judging kids, I would encourage you to try to do that as much as you can. Like go to a sale that is in your area or not in your area, make the effort and drive and grab a sale order and go look through the lots. I don't care what species it is and grab the breeder or like the herd manager for a hot minute, ask him to walk through a couple pens with you and talk livestock, ask him which one's his favorite and why, and tell him, I really like this one because of this and see what he or she says back and pick their brains. Um, that probably taught me more about evaluating livestock than anything else. The judging thing obviously set me up for a lot of success and, um, I learned a ton, but I, I just think that real life experience is what has taught me the most and getting out of my head, like I said, didn't happen until after judging. So leading up, I had marked my entire senior, senior college career up until Louisville. So the very last contest, um, I was on the marking team and it's because leading up to Louisville, I was putting so much pressure on myself. I had a very shit day in Kansas city. I dropped a ton of points. We still won and it was okay, but my team had to cover for me. And that's just not what you want going into the biggest contest of the year. So my coach made the decision to pull me and mark someone else. And again, another earth shattering, heartbreaking moment, but I know why, like I get it. I was in my head. I was second guessing myself and doubting every decision that I made. And you just can't do that. So if you feel yourself starting to get in that pattern, I would encourage you to get out of, like, you have to go to practice. You have to be there with your team, but see if you can find a window to go elsewhere at, at some point to go walk through a pasture, just look at stock with a friend and talk through stuff and get your head 
kind of back into a, a good headspace where you're confident, you, you know what you're talking about and you believe in yourself. Cause that was the hardest thing for me. And like I said, for my personal journey, it never happened soon enough, unfortunately, but it, it has happened since. And it's one of the best feelings, one of the most freeing feelings in the world. Although I didn't love judging and although I just didn't find that it fulfilled me in the ways that I needed to, I think that so much of your advice rings true. And I'd be anxious to see what Jenna had to say about all of this, because I think a lot of the advice that you just gave um, really applies to her in the situation that she goes through and all judging kids go through on a day-to-day basis. So mm-hmm. although I can't, although I can't relate completely because I was never in those shoes, I know a lot of people that were. And so I'll be anxious to see what Jenna has to say. I totally agree with that because I'm, you know, just started judging up again. I know that there's a lot of kids who are in high school judging and college judging that listen to this podcast, people who did judge. So they're going to relate to everything that Mari just said, because I struggle with it. I I'm my own worst enemy um, in terms of livestock judging, but take, take the part, you know, forget about judging and just talk about um, being humble enough to know that like, well, just, you know, forget about what Mari said in terms of livestock judging, being humble enough to know when like you need to get better, when you need to change what you're doing and anything that you're doing in your life is something that I think that you guys need to take or whoever's listening, take away from what she absolutely says, you know, it, while it was a specific example of livestock judging and, and I can relate to it 200% when you're not in that, um, just knowing that like a lot of times the only person against you is yourself. And so you need to make the the call, like when to be, you know, when to differentiate yourself, when to put yourself in a new environment and, and actually, you know, prosper, because that's usually what's going to happen. But no, I think You're so right. I, I love judging again, Maddie didn't like the lunches. So <laughs> out on out on that but okay you don't have to make me sound like a super duper fat ass I just I wasn't wasn't fulfilling I was like the only thing wasn't fulfilling was the lunch that's what you didn't like I know I didn't like the lunch that was really that was that I I'm sorry guys that just shows where my priorities are I don't (laughs) I can't commit to anything that provides a sometimes moldy looking sandwich I can't do it You know what? These judging kids work so hard every day. Um, I'm going to use this as my platform to start providing a catered lunch. For God's sake, it could be a catered lunch meat lunch for all I care. But please, for the love of God, don't keep making these moldy day week old sandwiches, putting them in a bag and calling them a lunch. I love it. I've always said I'm going to start my own judging call contest called the Jenna Jamboree or something like that and it's going to start at 10 there's going to be a buffet and you only give one set it's just going to be a fun time and we're going to listen to music while we do it it's going to be great unitedharvest.com is having some incredible holiday sales for you and your family this year go check out their entire catalog of beef angus wagyu cross uh purebred angus we got who pork and we got American grass-fed lamb. Go try out any of those products at unitedharvest.com. Enter the promo code FRIENDS15 for 15% off your first order, unitedharvest.com. Enough about like judging and all that. Um, I want to talk, Mari, like your horse background. 
I know that's odd for us, but kind yeah. of yeah. I know that there's probably people listening who, uh, you know, what what word am I? Dip into like they're they're part of it. So talk about that. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. So I'll be honest, I started into my horse thing. My sister started it for me. She was the one who really was the horse girl and ever since she was little, but I kind of followed in her footsteps like I always did. And I fell in love with it too. But my first horse, you guys, was a $500 wild Mustang off the Indian reservation in Oregon. It was a wreck. Her name was Spirit. I named her Spirit because what else do you do? How, what else do you name a horse when you're that age? And the movie spirit is a big one. And, um, she was a beautiful paint, but like a lot of livestock, the pretty ones are always probably a little bit crazy. And she sure was, um, she ended up almost killing someone like by flipping over backwards on them. But anyways, I worked through the process with a trainer of breaking her ourself. And it was cool because I got to, I got that experience of starting her from the very beginning. And even though she didn't turn out, I learned a lot in terms of horsemanship and training and whatnot. So then lucky for me, my parents were finally willing to help me with an investment. And I used my pig money too, and purchased a very docile well-trained show horse that I could actually do something with. So, um, I showed paint and pinno circuits, um, growing up through high school, um, just had a really cute little paint mare. She was always a little short for the show ring. So like we could never go to worlds or anything like that, but we did good enough in our region on those breed circuits. And she just made me happy and, and taught me a lot and we were a good team. And so for me, that was enough. I did. I didn't really ever want more. Um, she, she's in a really good home now and has just been packing around this family that also has all these daughters and, um, taking them to the next level and and finding them success. So she's an incredible horse, but I didn't have anything to do with horses when I, when we sold her, when I left Oregon and all through college, all through my first few years of my career, I really didn't have anything to do with horses again until, Tucker, my husband, um, and the ranch, because they still use horses out here. Um, and it's kind of a different world. Like these are ranch horses. These are not show horses where we would, we would just go around and around in a circle in an arena. These horses are asked to work. I mean, give it their all go after it and, uh, do everything from just checking fence lines with, uh, on us, uh, or with us, um, to gathering cattle, to, doctoring and roping to roping in the branding pen. Um, they're asked to do everything and anything and any, and they have to go on any sort of landscape. They have to go off by themselves. It's just really different than anything that I grew up with. I I think these horses are incredible and I love the horses that we have. We have three horses. Um, one of them is 20, his name's Banjo and he's just kind of this old grumpy asshole, but he's the hardest worker. He is the fastest. He's this ball of muscle. Even though he's 20 years old, he could outrun any horse you put him up against. He's just a hard worker, but he doesn't want you to touch him or do anything with him if, unless you're working. Then we have this gray horse that I ride and his name is, we literally call him gray. And he's just kind of goofy. Like he loves to be pet on, loves to be worked with, um, just rubbed on. 
And he'll do anything you ask him to, but not like super well. He'll do it and get the job done, but he's not like an athlete or a performer. And then we have a horse we call Boo Boo, who Tucker rides a lot. And he's the athlete of the of the group. Like he's kind of the fancy horse that does everything to the best of the, his ability and will go forever with you and do anything you ask him to. Um, so it's kind of funny seeing all their different personalities, but I just love being around them, working with them. It has really like brought a lot more joy back to my life, having horses involved with it again. So even though we don't do anything competitive with them, these are still super, super athletes. If you ask me, I am so impressed by everything you just said. I mean, you were describing horses and people use those descriptions for humans. That's how good they were. (laughs) Yeah. So I just find that so amazing because I, Jenna, did you have a horse? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't think so, but I, I, what's the crossover from like the horse deal to like the livestock deal in terms of like show, like if you were preparing for like a livestock show versus a horse show, something like that. Like, yeah, I would say that's pretty similar to be honest. You are work. You're putting the hours in, you're putting the work in, um, you're working hair. I mean, like hair and presentation is super important. Um, and just the hours that you spend in the arena would be equivalent to the hours that you spend, um, you know, under blowing hair and rinsing and all that for cattle and whatnot. Um, but like you would practice for showmanship or exercising your livestock for endurance and stamina, we spend riding and, and kind of perfecting the art and our craft. And, um, so it's very similar in that sense. And then once you get to the show ring, especially when you get to the kind of those breed circuits, and like I said, I've been out of it for a long time, over 10 years now, but man, I can remember back then it was cutthroat, just like the livestock judging thing. There are so many prestigious and competitive people and capable people there and horses there. Sorry, my landline, because we live in the middle of nowhere and have to have a landline. Um, there are so many competitive people there. It's really cutthroat and politics, unfortunately do play a part just like the livestock judging or livestock game. But that I would say is they're super similar. Okay. So I have a few questions. Okay. Um, this is going to be like 10 questions and they're the stupidest questions. Everyone's probably going (laughs) to laugh at me, but I want to know. So how much would like the average horse cost? Because on the show you, circuit? Said, you said like $500 and I thought that was expensive for a horse. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, no, that is so dirt cheap. That's like nothing. That would be like, Maddie, that'd be like spending $150 on a show pig this, this day and age. <laughs> Got it. Okay. That was the conversion that I needed. Okay. <laughs> okay. And then, so Jenna, I don't know if you remember this, but at World Pork Expo, they had this, so they had a horse thing going on during it. And there was this one booth that you and I went to, we were younger. And I think that we tried on these really fancy coats that horse people wear. And I think they were used. And I think they were still like a thousand dollars. Am I wrong in thinking that that's like the fancy coats that they wear? Yeah, you bet. We had, my sister and I had some of our show outfits custom made. And I remember one of my outfits that cost an arm and a leg and bless my mom for paying these bills and never telling my dad about them. 
but that outfit had over 5,000 crystals on it. It was insane. <laughs> no, okay. not, you're right. Because <laughs> I was a hoss back in the day. And so you were <laughs> looking for like the extra small. And I was like, I'll take the men's large <laughs> because I was, you know, a big girl. But no, that is, that is nuts. They always like, it's just so, I know we probably sound like two dinguses, Maddie, but like, we have no idea. And I think it's so interesting. And it's cool that like, both are considered agriculture, show industry, livestock, um, but can be, are completely different. Um, yeah. My, my goal, it's so funny how life changes. Like one of my goals right now, you guys, is I'm learning to rope and I want to be able to rope by branding next year, which happens for us like April, May timing. Um, so that's one of my goals right now. And I just never pictured that I, that would be on my, my goal list for a year is roping. <laughs> well, you have your goals set high because I don't, I don't foresee myself roping at any point in the near future unless <laughs> I, who knows, but yeah, I, so going back to my childhood, I actually thought I was a real cowgirl, um, in central Illinois because I went to a horse camp. My mom and dad sent me this horse camp for a summer and I thought that I was going to go to like the Olympics or something for riding a horse when actually all I did was ride around in a circle with someone leading me. So yes, I, ne I, I never actually had any independent horse riding experience, but you know what? Tomorrow's a new day. So who knows? You guys might see me at the NFR next year riding a, a horse. You never know. Dream big girl. Go Jenna, for it. Jenna, you ready for it? <laughs> All I can think of Maddie right now is that you went to that horse camp and you went back to school and you were the weird horse girl that would gallop around. I wore my hair in a braid, just like all the rest of them, Jenna. Oh, you too. Yeah, she's yeah. She's crying, laughing. She's got herself on mute. <laughs> 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 oh gosh. But anyways, Mari, I think we've like exhausted all of your time for this evening. Um, so do you have any parting words for us? Um, for the listeners who um, might be still joining in if they haven't got tired of my horse questions by now, just any parting thoughts that you might have or gotten tired of my rambling. Uh, I feel like that's all I did tonight, but, um, never, parting never thoughts. <laughs> parting thoughts, I guess, you know, throughout my entire journey, a lot of things happened and a lot of things didn't go my way. Um, you just have to learn how to adapt. And so what I would tell everyone like going through their own life journey, whether it's horses or livestock judging or your career, you know, whatever it might be, it's okay to do it scared. It's okay to do it knowing you won't know everything how many times did I talk about that tonight about not knowing what I was getting into, but it's okay to go into it knowing that do it, even though you're not ready, do it without perfection, give yourself some grace and whatever you do, just shoot your shot. I mean, that's kind of the bravest action in my opinion that you could take is just to go for it. I am not letting you leave until we talk about your wiener dog winning races deal races <laughs> yes she's got the most athletic wiener dog on like in the the, the united states are you oh, are you trying to fool me <laughs> she's not kidding <laughs> no 
I'm, I'm okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Rundown. Rundown. So Finn is the name of my male mini chocolate dapple wiener dog. And I got Finn in 2015 when I moved to Kansas City. Knew no one. Felt really lost and lonely. So I got a wiener dog. And I grew up with wiener dogs. So that's kind of my thing, I guess. Um, but he's been my little partner in crime. He's probably been to more states than most people. Um, he used to just travel with me nonstop. But um, we were in Nashville one weekend visiting a friend. And it happened to be German Fest. And we, I had Finn with me. And so we just kind of spontaneously entered Finn in this wiener dog race, which actually happened to be like a really big deal. I think there was like 120 dogs entered into this wiener dog race. So we go in like totally blind, not knowing what all this is about. We have Finn entered. And so he races against like, I think it was seven dogs first in, in his pretty much think of it like your class. You have to make it for, from your class to your division to the champion drive. So Finn wins his class. We were shook. Like we had no idea this was going to happen. I knew he was fast, but I didn't know this was going to happen. So then Wait we a go second. into division. Pause, pause. Yep. How do you get him to get go from, is it like a track? Yeah, it's like a straight track and it's not very long. Um, since winter dogs are small, they make it short. I don't know. I'm really bad with distance, but I would say like probably 25 to 30 yards distance. Okay, and were you running alongside him with a tree to try to <laughs> no. coax him? <laughs> no. So my friend, um, Charles C released him at the beginning and lucky for me, Finn is a really big mama's boy and would do anything for me and will go anywhere for me. So all I did was made sure he saw me at the finish line and he ran his little heart out. So, okay. I didn't I'm with even you have now. any tricks. Okay, I thought that maybe you were like, I don't know, running with a with a fishing pole <laughs> on the end or something like that. Okay, continue. I'm that would sorry. be a sight to see. That's okay. <laughs> so wins his class. We go to division, wins division by a landslide. So we go into the grand drive. So he's up against like the top dogs here. I heard, I had overheard people talking. They took this very seriously. Like they were training their dogs for this. And there was a reigning champion who had won for two years in a row guess who wins the champion drive Finn, and we made it on the news the nashville news and our picture was posted like on their facebook page and it got like 2.3 million likes it was freaking hilarious he won a medal you can find this picture on like my instagram somewhere way down the line it was a few years ago but that sparked his racing career and so then i took him to like a race in oregon and he won that um but I'll be honest, I haven't raced him. Um, he's kind of retired, Jenna. He, since he's come to the ranch, he has just fallen in love with being a ranch dog. He loves just being free and able to do and go wherever he wants out here. He has a really good relationship with the deer that hang out around our house. They don't even, they're not even bothered by him anymore. Like he runs and barks and tries to get them to move and jump and they just stand still and watch him. It's pretty funny. Um, but he is basically like, Tucker's right hand man when they're outside he sits on the back of the four-wheeler and he also is a gopher killing machine during irrigating season we flood irrigate a lot on our hay fields and stuff and so that that water that flood irrigating will push the gophers out of the hole and Finn loves to run through the water and he he'll kill like 22 gophers a day um which really helps us because they take over our fields like crazy so it's pretty funny but 
the last race I took him to, he had been living on the ranch and he doesn't travel with me anymore either. So he's not real socialized. We live in the middle of nowhere because our dirt road to get to our house is 10 miles long. And um, we have no cell service. We run completely off Wi-Fi. So we just live very desolate. And Finn has kind of become a little bit socially awkward now when he has new people. So I took him to this race in Oregon and uh, he wouldn't even leave the finish line. He was so scared. There was people cheering and yelling all around him. And he was so frightened. He would not leave the early, the the start line. I I think I said finish line, but yeah, he never left the start line. So I retired him and he's just a ranch dog now, but he's still fast. He tears around this place. Let me tell you. Jenna, why in the hell did you not bring up this story before now? (laughs) I mean, I was my, I was sitting there like my mouth, my jaw dropped. I was like, (laughs) this is the most incredible like guys I'm so diversified listen we've talked livestock we've talked cattle we've talked horses we've talked wiener dogs the knowledge the knowledge that we and the the people listening are getting right now like I mean I can't if you get pictures of me at Christmas trying to train Kai mind your business (laughs) mind your business I love it. No, I knew that you had like a, I knew that Finn was like top tier, top 1%. Like that's, oh, I yeah. mean, that is. Inc- and there's a lot of people no, listening I, that will probably know Finn. He met so many people along the way. Like when he used to travel with me all the time and stuff, he's pretty popular. When I still go to shows and whatnot, that's one of the main questions I get from people is how's Finn? <laughs> We should have him on. Maybe you just, you know, borrow. Yeah. I don't know what kind of advice he'd give, but he's, he's pretty wise, I guess. (laughs) Jenna, make sure that he is in her picture, please. (laughs) Absolutely. Because I I think Alyssa's dog drawing abilities are going to be put to the test. That's awesome. Well, Mari, thank you so much. I have, I've learned a lot. I have thoroughly enjoyed this episode. I mean, I feel like, I I feel like I have so many questions. Uh, I just can't even explain it. Well, thanks girls. I appreciate the invite. Inner dog races, wild Mustangs. I'm going to do it all. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me on really. It's been a pleasure and I just feel honored. Yeah. To be in your lineup of such incredible women. Absolutely. You're a badass. We are this, uh, this season has been, we've loved it. Um, you were the top, you know, at the top of our list with getting on and we couldn't, uh, we couldn't get through this season without you like being a part of it. So, well, thank you. We will see all of you guys next week. Are you tired of being ugly? Are you tired of wearing boring clothes? Did you finally throw away your rock revitals? We'll head over to the Stock Market Boutique. You will get new jeans. Thank Jesus, okay? And they're flare, so you can't tuck them into your boots, which we're excited about. And then you'll put a cute shirt on, and you'll just be ready to go. That's the Stock Market Boutique. And then you're going to go, and you're going to use the code TKP10, the Keeper Pen 10 abbreviated, obviously. And you're going to get 10% off your order, and then you're going to wear it around and you're going to tag us in your pictures and we're going to just hype you up like we always do and you won't be ugly anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Check it out. And that's the T, sis. And that's the T.